0: Hello, and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is an author, scholar, columnist, essayist, and political and cultural critic, and our favorite unwitting provocateur of the left because of his sober judicious. Um, and dispassionate analysis and I know we discussed that in our last episode but (laughs) I think it's still an apt um, description of Victor. He is the Martin and Nilly Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. This episode we're going to get into the origins of WOKE and then some of the careers that have been affected by WOKE. We'll be right back. And um, I would like also to remind Victor's listeners that he can be found on Facebook at um, Hansen's Morning Cup and on Twitter at VD Hansen. And we're also on Getter and MeWe. So you're all welcome to join through a multitude of social media platforms. Uh, Victor, I just uh, short, I hope you're doing well today. And if there's anything on your mind before we get into the um, origins of WOKE, Please
1: let us know. Well, I i am um, feeling pretty good. I'm almost strangled, as I said, long COVID, seven months, and I'm getting better. I think I'll be completely over with it on January 1 is my goal. I know I fudged a goal, but that's the way it, that is. I've said it, November 1st, December 1st. But for all those out there, I would reassure you that it's a limiting, self-limiting autoimmune reaction. Uh, it seems to me um, I'm looking out at a rainstorm in the San Joaquin Valley and Central Valley of California. We really need it. This is not going to solve the, the drought, but it's step one. And if we can get my goal is always if we our goal is should be five or six feet of snow in the Sierra. let say six to seven thousand feet by January one. And we did that last year and then it didn't. You know, it didn't rain and, and we had a drought, but it's a good start and let's hope it continues. Yes. Other than that, I'm um, working on this book, uh, The End of Everything, about how certain wars end in the complete destruction of a civilization and why that is. So i been pretty busy lately, but um, life is getting better
0: all right well let's uh dive right in then to the issue of woke and um you know you 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 spoke about that you were hoping to um talk about this and so uh, i did a little research on it and um, it seems to go way back but i think first maybe if we could define what is woke and then go into its origins that would be nice
1: well thank you um well what is woke ostensibly woke the doctrine, not what, what woke say it is, but empirically, and from an outsider's point of view, it's an ancient doctrine, and that is that if there's not general equality, what woke calls equity, then there has to be culpability. And equity is defined as everybody should be pretty much equal, not equality of opportunity, but state-mandated equality of result. So woke is this. This person over there has less than that person. And that is because this person is a woman or a transgendered person or a gay person or a black person or a Latino person. That's the primary reason why there's inequality. And therefore, it can be addressed because human nature is malleable. So we can go in and say, this person is a victim, and you are part of a collective victimizer group. You are part of an oppressor. So you can, through repertory action, you can help the oppressed. What is repertory action in, in terms of woke? Most radically, it can be reparations, as California has just announced in a committee that they're suggesting that each Person of African American descent, not defined very accurately, one quarter, one-eighth from Nigeria 20 years ago without ancestors who were slaves with them, Oprah, Levant, who knows? But you know, a quarter of a million dollars each. Or it can be radical affirmative action, not to the point of proportional representation, that is 13% of African Americans or 10% of Latinos, but repertory admissions, which I think all of the major universities are now engaging in, but they won't disclose it. Suddenly their admissions policies have gone from semi-transparent to zero transparency, but uh, they are letting people in for repertory reasons. Things like that can happen. So that is what the woke is, but how is it enforced? What are the means necessary to achieve radical equality of result? Cancel culture, ostracism, attack on the past, statute toppling, name changing, trotskyization, erasures of your name, who you are, preemptive uh, preemptive deterrence. So if you dare say a word or if you don't sign a diversity, equity, inclusion oath or your syllabus, if you're a professor or a teacher is not approved by the particular czar, then you're in trouble. That type of climate of fear. Sort of what we see going, what trying to make an example of Elon Musk, so no one else would dare follow that trajectory. That's what woke is. Mm -hmm. And you ask, well, what were the origin origins of it? Well, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: you know we we know what it is. It's basically it goes. And the immediate history, it's, it came out of the 1980s cultural revolution, the Jesse Jackson, you know, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western civilization has to go. The culture wars in which the left, remember, went after Saul Bellow. And they, I guess they called him the three B's, Bellow, uh, William Bennett, who was the uh, humanities director national uh, national humanities director under uh ronald reagan i guess and george h or george hw bush and alan bloom but that goes back to the 60s revolution that it was kind of a marxist radical egalitarian goes back to the frankfurt school but ultimately, it goes back to Marxism and Jacobinism in the French Revolution, and that is, remember, fraternity, egalitarianism, not liberty or give me death, as in our revolution. So, the idea is an ancient one, that all people should be equal, and because you and I are not equal, maybe you have more money, less money, better inheritance, worse inheritance, better health, less inha- less ability, more ability, doesn't matter. It's on the out- the outcome the backside, the result. And then we're going to get some platon- platonic guardians, czars in the university, maybe. Maybe John Kerry in his private jet on climate change. Uh, who knows? Maybe Al Sharpton, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, all these people, these self-appointed Hannah-Nicole-Jones, I think her name is, or Nicole Hannah-Jones, excuse me. She's All of these people are going to adjudicate Who is responsible for inequality? And we're going to turn over power to them. And that's what we're doing. And so that's what that's what it is. And it has a long genesis. And we know the means of how it operates from history. And that is it creates a climate of fear and it creates deterrence so that anybody who questions it is immediately suspect. And the projectionists will say, even though we practice racism, i.e., we call it, you know, others call it reverse discrimination, we accuse you of racism. That's how it works. That's how it works through the centuries.
0: I was just, as you were talking, thinking the way you're describing it, it sounds like the um, early 19th century social utopians who all tried to create these perfect societies where everybody was, you know, pretty much egalitarian principles on it. But they did have this idea that competition is what led to inequality. And every one of those ideas were just either castles in the sky ideas, or when they tried to implement them, they just round failures. And I guess Robert Owens, um, Robert Owens New, Harmony, yeah, New Harmony, Indiana. And it's so, I, I mean, I, I would project based on that, that woke and wokeism should roundly turn into a terrible failure because it mistakes human nature. Is that what? Yeah, I mean, look at
1: it's modern progressivism. Woodrow Wilson it ultimately has to attack the Constitution. It really does because the Constitution is based on individual freedom and freedom of choice and expression, and so it always goes after the Constitution. That's why the Wokers—they want to get rid of the Electoral College. They don't like the Senate. They don't think it's representative enough. Two senators in Wyoming versus two in California—not fair. Uh, They want to go after the idea that the states have primary responsibility for balloting. They hate these ancient institutions like the filibuster or the nine-person Supreme Court. So the Wokers think that because they're morally superior, it's, it's really got that... You know, I just want to pause. It's that pilgrim Puritan founding in America that was... Initially, it was zealous... But it was good. All those beautiful campuses and universities that they founded from Maine all the way through the Carolinas that were religious in nature, Andover, Brown, uh, Harvard, all of those. But it was this idea that we're going to be morally superior in our lives. And therefore, we're going to create institutions, city on the hill and that zealotry It was good in some ways. I mean, it it provided the moral foundations against slavery, the abolitionists. And it really, and then it started to become more and more zealous with Reconstruction. And that might have been good too, Reconstruction, even in its intense forms, given the pathologies of slavery in the aftermath. But when you lose your God and you still have those cultural traditions, of intolerance and certainty and it's not certainty about god and god's way but man's way radical humanitarianism and you believe you can improve human nature and make a new man well then you're in you're getting very close to soviet and Maoist territory and that's what these woke people do they say give us your children give us your children and give us the power in our schools and we can eliminate prejudice against transgenderism. We can we can say that you, we can dethrone the toxic male-dominated nuclear family. We can get rid of the idea that two or three or four children are good. We can get rid of patriarchy. We can get rid of white male Christian heterosexual dominance. And that's what they that's what they want. You have to give them the power. And the, the subtext is they never have fifty one percent never of popular support. So they have to go to the institutions. And the institutions, we know what they are, K-12, corporate boardroom, professional sports, entertainment, media, Silicon Valley, corporate boardroom, et cetera. And they saturate those those, uh, institutions with wokeism, and then they affect public opinion. And so, you know, Barack Obama in 2008 runs on the premise that, he can't get elected if he's for gay marriage. So he says he thinks marriage should be f- between a man and a woman. You say that today, you're a candidate, and you're done. And why? Because the institutions have demanded that. And they have molded and changed public opinion in just a decade and a half. Yeah, and that's how it I, works.
0: Yes. that's so And nobody,
1: anybody who stands up against it is public enemy number one. And mm-hmm. we know if you stood up and said something about the Salem witch trials or the excesses of Joel McCarthy, or if you were, you know, you said something about the Bolsheviks uh, or you were Hollywood, you know, the thing about the blacklisting Hollywood is if you were in the 1930s and you were really conservative, then you were blacklisted de facto. Whereas in the 1950s, if you were commie or hard leftist, you were blacklisted. And the same thing in present day, if you're conservative, look what's going on with James Woods. And yeah. so that's how it operates with through intimidation. And it's it's alienating people right now. So I think that that's the origins of it. That's what it is. And we know how it's applied in the real world. It goes after people. And I, I've <laughs> encountered it for 30 years. And so I can go into a book on the ancient world and see a footnote that was written before it was an outspoken critic or columnist and the footnotes are very favorable. And then after say 2003 or four, when I started to express conservative ideas in the public domain, I can see the same type of footnotes, but they refer to the same books, but in a negative fashion, I can go into my Wikipedia and they'll say that I'm a Q on or whatever that is. I don't even know what it is supporter. Uh, And that that will be constantly updated by hard left people to send a message to a person. And so what it does is I have so many people and I know everybody's listening has had this experience. They'll say to you, hey, I'm glad you did that. Hey, thank you. Hey, you're right. But, you know, I couldn't do that. I don't want to do that. I got a family. I got it. So there's always reasons why you can't do it. And that's what woke assumes, that they can create a climate of fear and deterrence. And they're bullies. And I think, to be candid to the audience, I think it's based a lot of it on racism because they feel that your superficial appearance is how you are self-defined. It's essential. It's not incidental to who you are. And when we say woke, it's becoming more and more Uh, synonymous with race, and it has nothing to do with class, and that's its Achilles heel. Because, believe me, the the Latino population, the white population, the black population, everybody is not going to want to give $255,000 a year to Oprah or LeBron James. They're just not going to do it. They don't think there's any need to do that. And they don't think that somebody who... Came from Nigeria ten years ago is needs the public purse, and they don't believe that somebody who's one eighth or one fifteenth, they don't believe we want to go back to the one drop rule of the old South, is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I thought maybe we could go through some of the manifestations of woke in our culture, and I'll, I'll name them, and maybe you can tell us what exactly the wokesters are trying to suggest. Uh, they reject American and even Western exceptionalism.
1: Okay. You want to just do a minute? You just name them off? We'll do a lightning round. Know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so they believe remember the idea of radical equality of result applies not just to individuals but to nations in the in the global marxist sense. So who are you to say that the west is exceptional? And if it is exceptional by disinterested data whether it's GDP, scientific research, standard of living, you name it, material acquisitions, bill of rights, then it's because it was privileged it privileged white male people was based on inequality and stealing the wealth of indigenous people or the wealth of African-Americans as slaves. It's nothing to do to their intrinsic ability or singularity or the ideas because you can't have anything better than anything else. It was built on oppression. So when we look at Western exceptionalism through woke dash Marxist lenses, you have to say, There is oppression somewhere. So we have to to spot it and to explain it and to end it. And the oppression is that a white male European landowning oppressor class came to this country and then started killing off everybody that wasn't like themselves, took power and greedily created a capitalist system for themselves. That's what they would say.
0: Yeah. And then everybody and they can't say
1: this. Okay, if it's so toxic, why are 3 million people coming from central and southern Mexico whose premises are absolutely antithetical? Why are they leaving a socialist paradise in Mexico with fellow people who look like themselves to come up to this white-dominated, racist, exploitive, capitalist system? And that's what the wokes – and the, I guess they would call that – there are – Suffering narcotics of the masses, like, or maybe their, their religion has befuddled them, as Marx would say. Who knows? They have certain <laughs> opiates that yeah. don't let them see the truth, the truth. And they, you know, they need a Stanford professor who's tenured, who lives in Woodside, who drives an Audi to campus to explain how exploitive this. Maybe they can enlist the the Bankman-Fried couple, the two law professors who he, Mr. Bankman Fried, remember, wrote treatises to help Elizabeth Warren to have a more equitable tax system. And she, Miss uh, Bankman Fried, she had her own, I think it was close, Move the Gap or Close the Gap. It was the idea that I'm going to channel dark silicon money to hard left uh, candidates through my pack. And guess what, Sammy? they owned millions of dollars of Bahamas real estate. I didn't know law professors made that much money. And if I was a tax expert, I would say, if I bought a million dollar condo for myself, and if I have $16 million in property in my name, the money must have come from the cryptocurrency empire transferred through maybe Alameda, illegally probably, but the point is that they pay gift tax on it. This is just, I'm just doing this as an extraneous exercise and the contradictions of, of wokeism and exceptionalism.
0: Yeah. So, excuse me, the, go
1: to your next. It's uh, not becoming a lightning two. round. It's becoming
0: a slug <laughs> round. Okay, I'll, be, think, I'll be briefer. Yeah, I think these will be briefer because you've sort of um, said stuff about these and okay. what you've just said. So, number two is the U.S. is not a true democracy.
1: It isn't. It is a constitutional republic. They mean it's not a true democracy and that it's not a socialist uh, equality of result, Athenian democracy. It's not, but it was never intended to be because the founders were not crazy. They read classical literature on Rome. There was a tripartite balance of power, judiciary, executive, legislative. And in Athens, it was... What, twice a month, whatever 51% of the demos thought was law instantaneously without constitutional protections very much at all. So they said, we don't want that. They killed Socrates. They killed everybody on Milos. They executed the Middle We read about it. Jefferson read, claimed he read Thucydides' 20 lines in Greek each morning.
0: So they didn't they want also, that. They didn't yeah, want
1: I, that. They want a constitutional I, republic. That's what we are.
0: Yeah, but I think what the wokesters mean is is that there are marginalized people that don't get to participate in this democracy yes. because it was created by white men.
1: Yes. So what they want and the wokesters, I mean, Plato knew wokesters. So when he wrote, I think it was in the Gorgias, Gorgias, when he said there won't be happy until the dogs and the donkeys vote, what he meant is that the theory of radical inclusion without criteria is endless and there's no there's always going to be a some objection of exclusion yeah. and so when you look at georgia they have record turnout in a state that they have sworn to us is uh, pathologically uh addicted to voter suppression so they don't have an it's everything is fluid and negotiable they don't have any absolutes no canons no principles no code just it's just all malleable. So when you say people don't participate, they participate in a fashion that they never have. But the woke borrowing from Marxism is it doesn't matter. You just keep that's like a battering ram. You say voter suppression, voter suppression, voter suppression, racism, racism, racism. And then the body of politics says, okay, we'll have mail-in ballots. Racist, racist, racist. You say, okay. the name doesn't have to be complete. Racist, racist, racist. Okay. Your name doesn't have to match the registrar's list. Racist, racist, racist. Okay. You don't have to have an accurate address. Racist, racist, racist. Okay. If it's, if it's uh, examined, you can cure it. You can ask the person to come back. Racist, racist, racist. That's what they do. And it's always preemptive. And so the poor, Traditionalist gets like the battering ram is bruises him. He's okay, just let me go. You can have third party harvesting. You can, and you can see it on the border with the you know, Bush republicanism says, just make it all go away. I'll get in a fetal position. I can't take it anymore. Wasn't that in true romance? That last scene,
0: the where, elevator where the guy <laughs> crouches down,
1: <laughs> yeah, where he you know, he's he puts the gun to make it all go away. <laughs> Why is this happening to me? Well, that's sort of the Republican Party on all these issues. When they say, you're racist, you're racist. And you say, okay, we'll have more people come in through a guest worker. No, 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 that's racist. Okay, we'll have some illegally. Okay, okay, we'll give amnesty. No, 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 okay, we'll give citizens. That's how they work. It's never, en- it's endless. And it's yeah. designed to be endless. And the only and irony, the only thing that stops it is when they get their way, whether it's Mao's China, that's the ultimate end of the line that this train is going to, or the Soviet Union or European socialism, then it doesn't work. You end up in San Francisco. And then they say, hmm, we voted Chasey, Chasey, is that Chessy Boudin in? And he let all the criminals out and they're attacking my house. Or we gave Gavin Newsom all these billions of dollars to stop homeless and And they're defecating on my market street, or I can't park my car. I have to roll down the windows and put a sign, nothing in here, you know, not car, not locked. chaos, or what, what we see in Chicago with Lori Lightfoot, that's where it ends up. And then it implodes, and then people get together in the ashes and the rubble, and they say, wow, let's create a new system. Maybe it should be something like the founder's thought. And there we go again. But, you know, it's it's a very painful, sad process to pathemathos, as Aeschylus said, learning through pain.
0: Yeah. Victor, let's take a moment for a break and come right back and, and finish up some more of these. I think I'm not going to go through all of them because we'll, we might be too long. But we'll look at a few more of those manifestations of woke, wokeism after these messages. Welcome back. And Victor, yeah, the one thing I want to add to it is that what you've been saying is that it's not logical there, where they go from, you know, some sort of um, statement or maybe omission of a statement to you're a racist, that it has no logic behind it. And that's what's, I think, frightening. So number three is- You mean like
1: Larry Elder is a white supremacist and a racist? Remember yeah, that?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's just no logic behind it. Who could even no, listen there's to him no after logic. that? Right? With, uh, but anyways, they also claim systemic and institutional racism.
1: That, that's important what you just said. Anytime you see racism with that uh, adjective, that preface adjective, systemic, institutional, then you know that there's not racism or you wouldn't need that adjective. So when they say systemic racism, that means you it's systemic error. You can't see it. You don't notice it because it's everywhere. And it takes certain diversity, equity, inclusion czars at $300,000 shot to tell you where it is. And so we have certain tools of spotting it, microaggressions, microaggressions, safe spaces. They dream up trigger warnings, all of these weird things to justify uh, their existences, which is to find racism. And you can, I'll be very brief. And the other reason, of course, we know that there's not racism is not just the adjectives that are used to enhance something that doesn't really exist as it used to, but more importantly, we have these psychodramas that are complete fabrications. The Duke lacrosse story. Remember the stripper who was supposedly raped and battered by the white male Duke? Complete hoax. The Tawana Brawley, what, eight, 1989, that, that prompted Al Sharpton? Smeared Steve Pagones? That guy, Jack and I talked about that. And then we had we had the two Duke Duke cases. We had the volleyball team where... The person suppo- in the stand supposedly said the N word. Nobody, no tape of it. They recorded the, all this sounds. No evidence of it. We had the juicy Smollett. Remember Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi. This is shocking. Juicy was attacked by two people with MAGA hats, white, and they were carrying a lynch rope, and they had bleach to bleach him white, and they did this at two in the morning in subarctic temperatures. <laughs> And we had to believe that. Yeah. So that shows you there's there's too many victims and there's not enough victimizers. So you have to start. I don't know how many campuses I've been on in my life, either as a visitor or as a faculty member or as a visiting faculty, but it's quite a lot. And I can tell you in my lifetime, I have noticed seven to 10, what I would call rope incidents are in incidents inward word incidents. And that is in the daily paper or somewhere, someone found a rope hanging from a tree or somebody saw an N-word written on a dorm room and 99% either that didn't happen or they mistook maybe a volleyball piece of rope or something or the per- it was planted to create that psychodrama. But in every single case that was not a legitimate and dangerous sign of pernicious racism, and there was never an apology. And there was never punishment if a perpetrator was found who created that hoax. Yeah. And that's again, that's just empirical. And that is a barometer or a symptom of there's too many victims and there's not enough victimizer victimizers to satisfy that growing demand. Yeah.
0: And they also say, and this is number four, that you are, you have white privilege and get this, you don't know about it. So,
1: again, you know. that's the same principle. You need an expert at a very high salary in your corporate boardroom. You need one in your university. You need one in your K-12 through school. You need one in your, in your institution, your foundation. And they have specialized skills. They're like a wolf that can smell things that you can't smell. So they come in and they say, you know, it's systemic or it's implicit or it's insidious. But uh, you don't even know that you're racist. So you've got to buy. This is Mark Milley, right? You've got to read Professor Kendi's book. I didn't know I was a racist. We're going to find it out. No, you're military. I'm going to go find out who all those white supremacists are, and I guarantee you we're going to root them out, and Lloyd Austin's going to do the same thing. And bingo. The U.S. Army can't meet its recruitment targets, because guess what? Your white male suspect who is not racist and has no record in the military of systemic racism but does have a record of dying at twice as numbers in the general population in hellholes like Afghanistan and Iraq, and has been doing that generation, 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 ain't going to do it anymore when you call him a racist without any evidence. So his mom and his dad are saying, you know, I served in the Gulf War, first Gulf War, and Gramps fought in Vietnam, and your great-grandfather fought in World War II in Korea, but you're not going to go in that military, because they're going to call you a racist every day of your life, and you're going to have to be brainwashed, and we're not going to let you do it. I've had that conversation with talks or emails or giving lectures in the Q&A at least 50 times. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the mom. The mother says, dear Professor Hanson, my son that wants to join the Marine Corps and be the fifth in my family, fifth generation or the Army or the Rangers or 101st or whatever. But I don't want him to join because I'm worried about him. And that's what it is. That's the That's the fallout from trying to suggest that. You don't even know you're a racist. And and remember the principle of all this. When you say racist, it only can be the white majority. When we say white majority, there's no qualifications. So I know your family, Sammy, is multiracial. And mine is, too, in the sense that I have one brother who married a Mexican-American woman. I have another brother who has two Mexican-American children. And... That's just the way it is. It's in every family and nobody makes any distinction. It doesn't matter. Once you're called white, there's no exceptions. You're just monolithically racist. Mm -hmm. And people who are not white cannot be racist. So you can have a tape at the LA city council meeting and you can have three of the future leaders or the present leaders of the Chicano community, political community, and they can say on there that they can refer to an African-American as a little monkey, or they can refer to a homosexual man as a bitch, or they can make fun of white people, or they can make fun of Oaxacans as ugly little people, fehols, And they're not racist. They don't have to, re- one, resign, but the other two don't. Why resign? We're not racist. We can't be. We're oppressed. And the same thing without Sharpton. We're talking about anti-Semitism now. And I deplore Mr. Fuentes, and I think Donald Trump, I don't know whether it's just an excursus, but I don't know what his mentality is right now because in the polls, he's even with Biden and he's ahead of DeSantis for the primary vote. And yet, whether it's calling Glenn Youngkin's name Chinese or DeSanctimonious or making fun of the race of Mitch McConnell's wife or having dinner with Kenya West, who's completely lost it if he ever had it. And Nick Fuenta, he's almost like he's self-imploding. But what he did was he gave this tool to the left who says, we can't be anti-Semitic. We're people of color. And then there's the, you know, if we, you and I were talking in 2013, we would be talking about hit, hit the Jew game in the black community of New York. Hit the Jew with a knockout game. But they said, hit the Jew. And we'd be talking about Jesse Jackson, Jaime Town, and we'd be talking about Al Sharpton, dim, we would say Al Sharpton and the Jews. Come over to my place, come over here with your yarmulke, on. I'll hit you. Or the Reverend Wright, the personal pastor of Barack Obama. I can't talk to him because dim Jews have him. So that was on the left, and we can get into Elian Omar and the whole campus. I was at Stanford. Ben Shapiro was scheduled to speak. I've mentioned that before. There was the bug spray, nice little Holocaust image of using a kind of chemical agent to kill people. So, and that was endemic, and no one said a word. So, antisemitism is a left, but they can't be anti-Semitic. Semitic and only can be conservative white male heterosexual Christian.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it seems like they uh, call everybody racist and. It's illogical. They don't even have an argument. And yet they'll keep
1: doing it. They'll keep doing it. They'll keep doing it until two things happen. Yes, it's successful. And that you hit the nail on the head until it's not successful. And how would it not be successful? Until people say one of two things you're the racist, you're the one that's obsessed with race. And look at your class, your privilege. You have lifetime employment at university. Your income is above the average per capita income. You are the racist or somebody's just indifferent. <laughs> I'm racist. Why not call me a Martian? I could care less. Call me a child molester. Call me a second. I don't care what you call me. It has zero effect, nothing. And when that happens, either you say the person's calling you, you're the racist or I don't care what you, and when that magic moment uh, appears, then this lie will dissipate and people will suddenly say, will wake up and they'll say, wow, what was woke? God, did we go through a Salem witch trial? Or there's a third alternative, Sammy, that a very prominent leftist will be called a racist. And I know that Joe Biden, I think he has some racialist tendencies when he says, hey, junkie, or you ain't black, or put you all in chains, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, no, that's true. Or Barack Obama's the first guy who was an articulate black man, or every, the donut shop. You can't go to a donut shop with all these Indians, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when they go after a icon, then you know what happens, the movement. Where's the Me Too movement right now? It dissipated. What killed the Me Too? It was Joe Biden and Tara Reid. Here -hmm. came a woman out of the shadows and said, You know what? This man who is running for president of the United States put me up against the wall, forced himself on me, and put his hand in my private parts and sexually assaulted me. And I told people at the time that he did it, I was afraid. And these people are still around, and they can identify. In fact, my mother, I told, and she called up a talk show and mentioned it on the air, not by name, but said a prominent senator assaulted my daughter. So there was a lot more evidence than than anything uh, that Susan Blasey Ford said about an 18-year-old Brett Kavanaugh. This wasn't an 18-year-old Joe Biden. This was a U.S. Senator Joe Biden. And remember that Senator has. What was her name, Hirano or whatever her name was? Yeah,
0: Hawaii. Yeah,
1: Women must be believed. (laughs) And all of a sudden, women must not be believed. You can't believe women. Tara reads, and they just took after her. They destroyed her. And at that moment, people said, okay, Me Too is over. We got, we, you know, we looked at who we went after. And gosh, we got good Harvey Weinstein. He was a big guy on our side. And then we destroyed Al Franken. We got rid of good old Charlie Rose. We even went out and destroyed Kevin We're killing all the people on the left. The Hollywood gay actors, the Hollywood left-wing actors, the the left-wing politicians, the people in the media. We're we're getting Matt Lauer. We destroyed him. We even destroyed Garrison Keillor. This has got to stop. This is, say the witch trial stop. And it stopped. But, yeah. you know, it didn't stop really until the, the breaking point was Joe Biden and Tara Reed.
0: Yeah, I don't know, though, that they won't bring it back at a convenient moment for them.
1: Yes, if they, they're they in the little woke workshop yep. somewhere, the little elves woke are elves. building little, <laughs> a, new, a new machine and it's sort of like, Let's bring back the me, me to accuse machine, but can we program it into it only goes after uh, right wing conservatives? Because last time, the damn Frankensteinian machine went after our own and cannibalized our movement. It's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. So next time we create this monster, make sure it's selective. That's what they're doing.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to just. The state the last three here, and because I think they've they kind of fall under some of the stuff we we've talked about that law enforcement is racist and should be defunded. <laughs> it's number five. Number six is gender identity is fluid, and if you say otherwise, you're wrong. And it's number seven is just the usual like racism, sexism is endemic in the system. Okay, so
1: very quickly. Think, oh, go ahead. Police: eleven million people arrested per year. And we found out right after the George Floyd, thanks to the Washington Post, who did some analyses that the number of African-American men who were shot unarmed and killed by policemen nationwide, uh, while it was more than 13% of their demographics in the general population, it was not more when you... Factor in the 11 million people a year who come into contact with the police and are arrested. So there was not a systemic, as to use their term, racist pattern that they could detect. And we had Roland Fryer at Harvard, the economist, who basically, they tried to destroy his career when he published data on other tangential matters that confirmed that. It doesn't matter. And so, and then they did defund the police. and They didn't, you know, the left is so weird So predictably weird. It says defund the police, defund the police, defund the police. So then they start massive layoffs and radical cutbacks in the budget in Minneapolis and Seattle and Oregon and then the crime spikes. Right. And then they say defund the police. Look, they still have a budget. <laughs> so they they use that word. I mean, it's either all or nothing. No, you cut back on the budget. You cut back on the officers on the street. You let these George Soros funded attorneys, uh, public prosecutors go crazy. You did it. You told the, as I said, I have that little formula. I've said it before in this. The criminal says, if I hit that guy in the head, I smash and grab, I carjack, I won't be arrested. If I'm arrested, I won't be indicted. If indicted, I won't be convicted. If convicted, I won't be jailed. If jailed, I will not be there for long. That's how they they look at it.
0: Of course. And we yeah.
1: have this 40-year high in criminal assaults. I really like the idea that the mayor of uh, New York is, you know, once in a while, says that the subway's not safe. After all, these left-wing people say I take the subway all the time; it's very safe. Now he's a rat czar. He wants the people to. He's got to ad out to get a rat killer. Wonder why that is that they there's rats in New York again on the street.
0: Apparently. So we're,
1: it's it, the whole leftist Rousseauian movement is pre-civilizational. Remember that that it, yeah. it's destroying all of the carefully constructed. You know, rules and protocols that separate us from savages, and yeah. they just like to dismantle them in, in the name of equity. And the result yeah. is pre-civilizational chaos.
0: Yeah, which is why the last thing in, on it, and I know this is a rabbit hole we probably don't want to go down, but environmentalism and that environmentalism yeah. is part it's of all America or nothing. As well. Yeah, yeah.
1: The polar bear um, I saw. Al Gore's. Uh, I watched a little bit. It was on Earth in the Balance. There's no polar bears today. Today, the polar bear populations in the areas that he said would be extinct or, you know, they're either normal or they're excessive. Yeah. And so all of these things didn't come true. I think AOC said 10 years we had, right?
0: Yeah. She's yeah, already
1: sure. had three of them. In seven years, everything was going to... I get attacked all the time and say, you're in California and there's not going to be any rain. And three years ago, we had one of the wettest, most catastrophic storm years in history when Orville Dam almost collapsed. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's it's not empirical. You just, you're, it's intolerant. You either, you know, you either say that the world is going to be destroyed by people like you, and then if you object, you're a climate denialist. They love that term denialist because it has associations with, some of the right wing people who deny the Holocaust, not they don't they don't mention the Arab world that completely its leadership, many of them uh, deny the Holocaust, but they're talking about a right winger or two that's nuts. It says that so they use the word denialist for climate and all these other things.
0: Yeah. So let's turn to the people that are our Mm. leadership of woke and what's happened with them or perhaps their hypocrisies. Um, I'm talking about our tech, um, our tech oligarchs (laughs) and, and, or entertainment. So I, I have a list of people maybe we can look at and, um, And you can talk about their various things. I think the most interesting one is Jack Dorsey. Yeah, I haven't seen this list, so
1: I'm going to just be spontaneous. Uh,
0: He's disappeared from the whole scene. But what what are your thoughts? He was the leading wokester uh, owned Twitter before Elon Musk did.
1: Yeah, I think he was a kind of a tech nerd. And he went out to Silicon Valley and he realized what the rules were. I don't think he was innately a radical at all. He was a tech nerd that got this little social media idea bug in his head. And he was lucky and he was talented. So he creates t- Twitter. And the idea you have a certain number of characters. I've never done it myself, so I shouldn't really talk about the mechanics of it. Other people involved in VictorHanson.com do it. But um, he he understood the protocols of Silicon Valley. By that, I mean he looked at the Apple uh founder steve job he said that's the black get up but i can't really do it elizabeth holmes is doing that and he's he l- looked at the mark zuckerberg you know tie-dye and jeans get up that's taken so he did the kind of charles manson nutty look so he did the beard and the <laughs> nose ring i think he has yeah and and kind of thousand yard stare and then he decided then he just did what they were supposed to, you've got to get all these techies and left-wing people to flood from all over the country to San Francisco, and he was going to be a little cuter by making the, uh, the, the headquarters in San Francisco and not in Silicon Valley. So he was really woke, and then these people, the lunatics took over the asylum, and he just thought, oh my God, I created Frankenstein and I'm not going to challenge that monster, so we just sort of filtered out and counted his monies. Basically, he said, wow, this is weird. Twitter doesn't make a profit. And the more money it loses, the more valuable it is. It's worth billions. I'm a billionaire. And so, Mm -hmm. every time, once in a while, they'd call him into Congress and they'd say, you know, you're censoring things and you're suppressing news and you're not just a media organization like you claim to be because... You're kind of a public utility. You use the airwaves and you people communicate with each other like they do in the phone or they need to do that like they do with the PG&E here in California. Or Southern. And so we want a little bit of regular. <laughs> and he played that. Oh, wow. I agree with you. Yeah. 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 Did you know that Twitter did that? Yeah, that's wrong.
0: <laughs> that was really
1: good. Yeah, yeah that's wrong. Yeah. That's, and then it's kind of like, see ya, wouldn't I wouldn't want to be here. I got to go back to the Bay Area and space out.
0: Yeah. And then when did, Elon Musk them.
1: came along and <laughs> he offered all this money and it was like, wow, I got a money losing deal. And he's offered me 40 something billion dollars The stock. Yeah, I can just get this pile and turn over these lunatics that took over to him. So that's what yeah. he wants.
0: Yeah, he agreed with them into inaction. It's really he strange. did. I mean, he wasn't a
1: bad. He wasn't a bad person. He just he just created. He was Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah, and Doctor Frankenstein was kind of a good guy. He thought he was doing making the you know a perfect being, and so he thought that this thing would help people and communicate. And then he just saw what it, well, it got this way. It was kind of cute in the beginning. He was going to look kind of weird and act kind of weird. Everybody was going to be. Politely weird. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it was sort of like Kerensky had some good points about the czars and then the Bolsheviks came.
0: Another Dr. Frankenstein, of course, is Mark Zuckerberg.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg. Now, that guy is a little different. That guy, he has the same getup. Remember, he does was it Fourth of July? He gets on his uh motorized surfboard and he wears the American flag with his t-shirt and he zooms across the lake or something. So he, he Mr. Flip Flop or whatever he is, he's the guy that has they all end up in Hawaii. They all have the big, you know what I mean? They have the big estate, and then whether it's Barack Obama who tries to Attack the environmentalists <laughs> don't want him to, you know, create a, a drainage, uh, a block to a natural drainage near his property. Or it's Mark Zuckerberg. It's got, I don't know, how many thousands of acres. And he wants to build a wall that denies the the hoy, denies hoi access to the coast. Or he puts a big wall around his against city ordinances, perhaps in Palo Alto, whatever it is. They are never subject to the consequences of their ideology. They all have to have certain set asides for themselves. In his case, he's a very funny guy. It's like, hey, uh, Joe Rogan, hey, the FBI, yeah, the FBI came. That's kind of weird. I, I had mixed emotions about. It. No, you didn't. You had put four hundred nineteen million dollars. Into the 2020 election with the express purpose of usurping the registrar's responsibilities in key precincts of key states to warp the vote with your dark money that was channeled into quote unquote nonprofits. That's what you did. And you knew exactly that, like Twitter mob, that you were going to suppress knowledge or communication about or postings concerning hunter's laptop, but deep down in your dark soul, you knew that that was accurate because there was zero information uh, to support the 50, quote unquote, intelligence experts who said it was Russian disinformation. So he's the same thing. He has this little physical get up, the clothes get up. He's just one of the people. He's just an all young guy. And he's, he's, he's on the left, but he's He's the reasonable left. He's a re- No, he's created something that is used to suppress free expression and to warp things. And he, I think he's a lot more culpable than um, than Jack Dorsey, to tell you the truth. He's a lot richer, and he's got a lot more power than Jack Dorsey. But remember, there is this Greek, Greek concept of nemesis, and it's based on hubris, and it leads to ate or destruction. And once you have that much money and people call you up and say you're, you know, Socrates and much you think you believe your own hype and you can get as many houses, as much many things you want, then you start doing things like meta. And the idea that all the whole country is going to put on a bunch of headphones and then. I mean, most people go to sleep and they're terrified of alternate reality, right?
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: there is such a thing as (laughs) I don't take this medication because it gives me creepy dreams. (laughs) Or, you know what I mean? I turn off that TV set because (laughs) that particular, you know, natural born killers movie gives me the creeps or Blue Velvet. I don't want to watch that. but. Mark Zuckerberg is going to give you, you know, visor and all this get up that you have to put on so that you can enter this. I don't know what it is. It's sort of an alternate reality that's not as nice as this reality. But that's what and he's bet his whole company on it. So he's crashed the stock price. He's lost billions of dollars in wealth and he's going to keep doing it. Yep. And that's that's divine retribution that makes people. Man, I think it was a fragment of Euripides said, right? It may be Menander. I know I got like all the classical scholars. They got to be careful. Said, "Whom the gods destroy, they first make mad," and they're making him crazy. I think there's people at Facebook that say how can we put a straitjacket on him and put him in a room so he stops this meta thing before he destroys us?
0: Well, let's take a few minutes for a break and come back and talk about Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. I'm not sure which one of these is the more evil of the two, but let's listen to these messages first. We're back at the Victor Davis Hanson show. And so now these two, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, I mean, Bill Gates and his China relations is really suspect. But Jeff Bezos is no better with labor relations and even getting Seattle recently to repeal a law uh, that was going to raise more taxes on corporations. And it was aimed at the homeless and he got him to repeal it. And so all his wokeness seems to have gone a way they're I'm very different talking, okay, yeah. Yeah, they're ahead. very
1: different but they're very astute in the same way And what that means is that they start with a premise that I had an idea and I'm very bright and they were and I'm very hardworking and they were and I captured market share and I got wealthy but the way to get really wealthy and real really powerful that reflects my own singular genius and my own prerogatives, and my own natural right is to create a monopoly and to make a high-profit product beyond what I need, beyond uh, the world's imagination. So I'm going—I just don't want to sell Amazon books. I'm going to sell everything, and I'm going to change the way that people buy. And I'm going to offer them a product, and they wouldn't buy the product if you know I'm out here in a farm in the middle of nowhere. And if I want to buy wool socks, I'd have to drive into a little town and go all over and find them, or I can get it as an Amazon Prime member and have it delivered in 24 hours. So, that's the product. It's a good product. But his idea was, you know, he got obsessed with it. So, I'm not going to have union labor because that's costly. Okay, that's fine. So, you're a right-wing capitalist. That's that's fine, too. But he's not a right-wing capitalist. He says... And I'm going to buy out all the competitors. Okay. And I'm going to be really strict in the workplace. Okay. But he's not. He's not a right-wing person. He says. So how do you square that circle, Sammy? You buy the Washington Post. And you tell the Washington Post, I'm not going to interfere. And you guys can bring as many nutty leftists and really destroy the legacy of the Washington Post and turn it into a activist arm of the democratic party, which it is. And he did that. And then he, every once in a while, I mean, he gets kind of shocked. It's like, wow, I believe in capitalism. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's he, he comes out and just leaves these little tidbits, like little, like, you know, a little trail behind him of semi semi normal sentiments. And that's supposed to reassure us all that. Yeah, I'll keep buying From Amazon. The guy is, you know, he believes in the American free enterprise system, but he's really brilliant how he's insulated himself from the left with all of these left wing gifts. He gave, uh, what's his name, $100 million, the African American, you know, Uh, uh, climate activist. And he gave him.
0: Wasn't that Van Jones or something?
1: Van Jones, which is not Uh, his name, of course. He created that (laughs) name. It's a fake name. It's a nice
0: him, fake name, though.
1: It is. It makes him look cool, and and you know he was the one that Valerie Jarrett goes, ooh, "Ooh, Van Jones, yeah." Remember that that they hired yeah, him as I, the <laughs> the environmental labor or work, I don't know what it was. He didn't do anything, and then they had to fire him because he 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 was Van Jones, and Van Jones made his career out of calling people names and racist, and he said something about Republicans and. It was beyond the pale, so they ditched him. And then, of course, he ended up, as they all do, on left-wing cable news. But, yeah, he got got $100 million, So Jeff Bezos. So what I'm saying is that he's got his little Bezos prizes, that he gives this shocking amount of money to left-wing people. He's got the Washington Post. And that that kind of gives him an indemnity policy to be a hyper-capitalist and a monopolist. He's a little different. He's always smiling, you know, and all this. It's much. He's much richer than anyone gave his wife. She, I think, she's the fifth richest person in wow. the United States now. Maybe the tenth richest in the world. She's got half of his 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 fortune that was, you know, frozen four years ago. Whatever it was worth, she got half. She's giving it to left wing causes, but good. More power to her. But Bill Gates is a very strange. He's got these weird ideas that he is going to not just create Microsoft. And again, I think yesterday I worked all day on a Microsoft Word program and I ordered two things from Amazon Prime. So I'm not going to trash either one of them as far as their products. They did America great service. I think Microsoft Word is a very good program and it's made my life the last 20 years much easier. So is Amazon. But they make that inevitable leap? If I'm so smart in the business world and I got so much money and I did so much better than other people, it's because I am right, I'm morally superior and I'm anointed. Some power in the universe has picked me. Therefore, I'm going to be able to invest in China. And I, Bill Gates, will be one of the first people to get in on creating a Chinese capitalist system and then they're going to look like Carmel because they've got so much money and, and then maybe I'll make the Gates Foundation, will vaccinate everybody, but I won't be content with that because I did the Gates Foundation and it's doing all this good Then I'll start weighing in on everything from Dr. Fauci to China's wonderful reaction to COVID to the conspiracy theory that it was at the lab and then I'll start buying farmland too because i've got to change the way people eat and the way that they they farm so that that's his problem yeah. that he's this utopian and he feels that his success in a particular sector of business is proof or rather it's prerequisite to his to his not just his ability but his divine mission to get into all aspects of our life and to control them like he controls microsoft again they're monopolists so, yeah. we remember that if you and I were talking in 1993, he was the prince of darkness to Silicon Valley. It was Steve Jobs and the Apple hippies. Remember that? Yeah. He went out to Apple was just an extremist. I remember in, by 1992, I've never used a computer in my life that was an Apple. I started at Cal State Fresno with Apple's. I've been ever since. I don't know how to use to the extent they're even different anymore a non-Apple computer. I've been the most loyal consumer of Apple products, whether it's pads or phones or computers. But that was the war, and they were mad at Bill Gates because he was trying to create systems on PCs that were incompatible with Apple, and he was trying to create a, you know what I mean, a monopoly that would drive Apple out. They hated him. And then, you know, the, the systems kind of fused and... They were both on the left and then Apple got as bigger, bigger than Bill Gates with the iPhone and et cetera, et cetera. And then they had the same shared premises. You invest a lot in China, you outsource, you offshore, you get a ton of money. You try to buy the Washington Post like Jeff Bezos or you buy Atlantic like Steve Jobs, Lisa Jobs, his widow, or you, you, you get in. Heavily invested and indebted to the left wing political movement. You have your foundation, all that stuff. And then yeah. you think that because you were you created a monopoly on iPhones or on Microsoft or on Amazon or you're Mark Zuckerberg, you created a monopoly or you're the Google bunch that has 95 percent of all the searches that gives you the right to use that methodology in other spheres that have nothing to do with you, whether it's politics or environmentalism or social relations or race, whatever it is, you still think you have that birthright to that the success that you got in business. in that particular area will, will ensure that you will be listened to and successful in every area. And it's kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's a megalomaniac complex. They're very yeah, dangerous sure. people. I mean, you can go yeah, back I, in the 19th century and you can really praise Carnegie for what he did. You can praise Rockefeller. You can praise Vanderbilt. You can praise the Guggenheim. You can praise all of those people because they they created really important businesses. And they were financial buccaneers, J.P. Morgan. But there were a lot of Jay Goulds with them and Jay Fisk. And a lot of them, you know, at the end of their lives, they became philanthropists because they were pretty ruthless in creating their monopolies and driving out competition. Standard Oil Trust, the Sugar Trust, all that.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of um, ruthless and um, huge companies and Apple, uh, there's been recent um, uh, shows, um, news on Tim Cook's Apple being complicit with the Chinese and monitoring its citizens, and I just think, wow, evil of all evils. It seems like with Tim Cook.
1: Uh, Tim Cook, yeah, and yeah, and so same pattern. Uh, even though he didn't found the company, he's a multi-billionaire. Mm-hmm. And he, they created a great product with the iPhone. I used to talk a lot to Rush Limbaugh, text him, and he was the greatest emissary of iPhones. If you, anybody who knew him and you visited him in Palm Beach, he had a whole closet. He was the most generous guy in the world with iPhones. He would give them to people and send them out. And politics wasn't an issue with Rush on iPhones. It was just, this was a free market product. It's better than the alternative. It's innovative. And I love it. And I admired him. For that. And that's what Tim Cook, you know, Apple became. They took a company that was in shambles and with Steve Jobs. And then later him, they rebooted it. And now it it's, I think it's got the greatest market capitalization yeah. of almost any company. I think maybe it's up there with a Ramco or I don't know, Google or more. So all power to them. I'm glad they were successful. But again, they've got that megalomania. And so what did he do when the Chinese said, hmm? We haven't been able to eliminate this competitor and they've got they're billing all of these iPhones in China. We want to renegotiate, and we're going to threaten their offshoring in China. He just simply gave them two hundred and seventy million dollars worth of technical expertise to the Chinese. And a lot of this Apple cloud device material is being used as you hinted or said to surveil the wagers and dissidents and the protest against the COVID lockdowns. He doesn't have any problem with it because it's his company and it's just business. But he has a lot of problem with your problem or your business or, you know, if you want to own a gun or you don't really think there should be drag, those types of issues. He can put his nose in all of your business, but you don't dare put your nose in his business because he's anointed. He's Apple. And he's really adept. The Apple brand, even at this mega corporate monopolistic uh, state of affairs in its history, is still the kind of renegade country. The Apple, you know, you get visions of the Beatles Apple, and it's kind of a hippie place, and it's it's weird. And when you go onto your, you know, when you go onto an Apple computer, you see all these kind of little news. Apple News and all these indications that they're woke and they're neat and they're cool, but no, they're monopolistic and they don't give a damn about human rights, the bottom line. Profit, they're in competition worldwide with other makers of these devices, and they're gonna they're not they're not gonna let human rights interfere with the bottom line. They do it on the back end. Remember, all these people do it on the back end. How they make their money in Silicon Valley is Jay Gould, JP Morgan to the nth degree, and then after they make it, they think they're Andrew Carnegie, but they're not giving to libraries and building us a, a plan for a library in every small town. You know, in some ways, Steve Case is doing that. He's the guy who made it in AOL, and now he's going around the Midwest and trying to give money to entrepreneurial groups not based on their politics, but on their location, i.e. there's talent in between the two codes. And that's very admirable. But yeah. these guys yeah. don't do that. They use that money for their utopian you know, agendas. And th- it's very strange how it works. It's It's based on the principle of medieval penance or exemption. And by that, I mean, it's either one or two things or both. And one of them is, oh, man, I feel so guilty. I'm so wealthy. I've made so much money. I gave stuff to the Chinese that that they used against innocent demonstrators, or I'm at Google, and I rigged these searches so much that I didn't give other people a chance to get a a, a true result when they wanted to use my product or you name it. And therefore, I'm going to give all this money to humanitarian causes are left wing, mostly left wing. And therefore, I can sleep at night and I'll go to, I don't know, atheist or agnostic heaven because of that. I just like the guy who was an usurer in 1500, he just went into the church and said, Here's some money, here's some gold Florentines, buy five blocks on the dome of St. Peter's, and I can continue to to charge 18% interest. That's how it works. That, you know, it's yeah. kind of an exemption or an indulgence. And then the, it also alleviates guilt. Yeah. One or the so- other or both.
0: So, Victor, we're coming to the end of our our time. So there's lots of other people we could talk about, but I think we hit the top guys. But one more question is just Elon Musk is coming into all of this and he's changing things. And I was wondering what your thought, because recently he's been in the news with um, uh, exposing how censorship works, I think, at Twitter. But what, what are your thoughts on Elon Musk? Is he a new age for us?
1: He's different. And I don't just say that because what he's doing with Twitter, he was different because he was an immigrant like Peter Till, but they were immigrant from politically incorrect places. You know what I'm saying? He didn't come from India or Mexico or Africa. He came from South Africa. So they, the left went after him and they do because of that heritage, just like Peter Till came from Germany. Those are the two worst places to come from in the left-wing mind. So they were a little different from the beginning. And then they were empirical. And they were kind of candid. And he was a little different as well as he made things. And he was concrete. So it wasn't just cyberspace. I mean, the guy has a company, I don't know how successful it is, that drills through rock, the boring company. And he created a very success, the most successful private aerospace company with his rockets. They work, and he outdid GM and Ford and Fiat and these and Nissan and Toyota with batteries. And Tesla's is a superior product, and these are real concrete things you can touch. It wasn't just he got into Twitter, so. He, He's different. He, he's grounded in something. He understands that, you know, that people need oil to move. They need food to live. They need shelter to protect themselves from the elements. It's not all, you know, I'm going to recreate the world according to my woodside mansion, or I'm going to get a big place in Pacific Heights and pontificate about Hoy Polo ho, he's going to do this and that and outlaw natural gas, that kind of thing. He's really grounded in the physical world. And then his own life is kind of reckless, right? He just says what he wants. He does what he wants. He's been married or had several girlfriends, a lot of kids. He doesn't really care what people say about him. I mean, he's very sensitive, but ultimately he understands that what he's doing Is a cardinal sin in the left wing mind. He not only took over their favorite, Sammy, their favorite mechanism, they love Twitter far more than Facebook or any other communication, that generation of leftists. And he took it from them. And he took it from them in the sense that we're not going to use this as a monopolistic aid or arm of the left wing progressive movement. We're not going to do it, it's going to be free. And then that was embarrassing for him because he made them, as civil libertarians, become Pravda-like censors, right? And that was hypocritical, and they look stupid. And then when he does these things, to, he's got a knack about how to poke the left. So when he wants to release this trove, he did it in a really weird way. He took this Matt Tlaiby, who used to be, you know, he was with the guy that was the nerd... X-Nerd or whatever they were in Russia. They had kind of assorted. They wrote, he wrote a memoir and the left Me Too went after him and kind of, he got fired from Rolling Stone. They kind of destroyed him. And then he resurfaced with Substack very successfully. So, and he became almost an expert on how the left-wing mind, that is his former mind or his present mind works. And he wrote a lot of incisive essays about the, totalitarian instincts of the left and how they're manifested in journalism and politics. He's still a person of the left, but they could not stand that. And so what is it, what happens? Elon Musk deliberately makes him the conduit of all these embarrassing revelations. And it's like a trifecta, right? It's Elon Musk they hate. It's the embarrassing disclosures that they were working to suppress free speech, these so-called liberals and then he picked a journalist that they despised and he did it pretty effectively so he's in a different category He's he's world's richest person so that also means that when they want to destroy him like just i'll take a little hiatus here and just an excursus when they wanted to destroy Parler, they went into the google store the app and the amazon and they destroyed it remember Yes. They had 20 million people ready after um, the election in January, ready to go, and you could not buy the app. You couldn't get on if you wanted. And the software was not ready because of limited resources to accommodate that, that demand anyway. And it's kind of, you know, it still exists. It may come back, but the point is they de facto in 2000. Twenty one destroyed it. And so they thought hmm, we can do the same thing with Twitter and Elon Musk. And what happened? He had a little phone call with Tim Cook and Apple. And he's sounding a little bit more like he's conservative than just an old fashioned classical liberal. And there are people in Congress and the Republicans took the House and Tim Cook is getting it on the left from his and the right from his uh, incestuous relationship with the Chinese Communist Party in the sake of profits. That doesn't go down well. And then he's getting it from the conservatives. And you know what? From what we've learned about Twitter and what we've seen with Facebook and Twitter, we're going to go after you guys because you're monopolies and you are not private companies entirely. You keep saying you are. But then you control all of the searches, or you control 60% of social media, and you have this or 70% of mm-hmm. the Twitter industry, and you do this on the in the public cyberspace. So they're worried. And so and then he thought, Wow, Elon Musk is nuts. He's capable of anything, anytime, anywhere, to any person, and he's the world's richest man. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to do what I did to Parler to Elon Musk and Twitter. And so he backed off and you can, and I don't think they're going to be able to stop you from using Twitter by denying you access or new, new subscribers through a a, uh, boycott of their apps. He's too big and he's too unpredictable and he's too well connected now with people in the conservative movement and the house. And I think, you know, we've got a divided Senate and Joe Biden's not a popular president so they are you know these guys are they're they're wealthy because they're smart and they understand politics and so they they do they do gravitate toward reality and and they see yeah. Elon Musk as somebody who they cannot stand and is dangerous but they can't strangle him because to do so would be self-destructive to themselves
0: yeah so maybe we will have some some transference (laughs) into his only problem is not his yeah
1: it's not his enemies Mm -hmm. and it's not his talent it's himself and that is i don't know how you be simultaneously the world's richest person the world's most innovative uh, private space company the world's most successful car maker and now taking on all of Silicon Valley's social media giants. I don't know how you do that all as one person and then yeah. tweet all the time and sound off on every considerable issue, whether you're trapped in a cave in Asia or what, he will sound off on. You. Yeah. And so in that sense, you know, as I said earlier, it's kind of like Donald Trump. Donald Trump is in. I'll just finish with this. Sammy, he's very bright. Yeah, I think his four years of governance, forget politics, if just look at the border of the economy or energy or foreign policy or upping the defense budget, it was very successful, maybe more successful than any president the last 50 years, easily. And now he's been given a great gift because the people who said that he was bad or incompetent are now in the ridiculous, never Trump position of... Supporting this disastrous administration that, on every single criterion whether it's the border, inflation, gas you name it crime it's failed, and more importantly, it is sinful in the sense of what the left sees as sins. And by that, I mean they wanted a ministry of truth, they have weaponized the FBI, they've unleashed the DOJ, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. These guys are not liberals. And so it's very embarrassing to support them. And the result is Donald Trump looks better and better, right? And everybody, you know, says, you know, privately, God, ah, get DeSantis. You get the mega agenda, but you don't get the excesses of Donald Trump, the tweeter. But if you look at polls, most of the polls show that Donald Trump is sizably ahead of DeSantis in the primary polls. What I'm getting at is you would think that the contrast between his record and Biden would really make him look good. You would think that the polls showing him ahead of DeSantis would be reassuring. You would look at the polls that show him dead even or ahead of Joe Biden slightly are reassuring. Okay. But why then would he have a dinner with Nick Fuentes? Or even Kenya West, given what he, yay or whatever his name is, given this state of his mental confusion, or why would he make fun of Lynn Yunkin's name, or why would he gratuitously attack Mitch McConnell's wife in quasi-racist terms, or why, 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 why do all that? And it doesn't make any sense. And so you
0: Donald You think he's Trump's, imploding. I've heard you say that. You think yeah. he's imploding, Yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where his staff is. I don't know where, who is the person who says, Mr. Trump, Mr. President, you don't, we can't have this guy come in and have dinner because the leper will eat you alive. And you're not an anti-Semite. You've done more for Israel than any president in history. And your grandkids are Jewish and your daughter is a converted Jewish person. So is your son-in-law, he's Jewish. So why would you... Why would you want to be tagged with an anti-Semitism charge when you're not? But you will be. Or why do you, you know, you said the Wuhan virus, and that was a legitimate adjective, but why go in to, to prove your critics were right by suggesting that you're, you're anti-Asian with the way you make fun of Youngkin's name or Mitch McConnell's wife? Or you created, in some sense, dissent as your endorsement beat him over that ridiculous. Uh, Gillum or whatever his name was, candidate in Florida, why would you suddenly, right before the midterms, attack someone who was going to have a great night? And he did. It doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, in, in the lesser fashion, why would would Elon Musk get into these little Twitter t- spats with nobodies? You know what I mean? Yeah. He's He's so much above all that. You don't know. So what I'm getting at is that People like that with enormous talent and a record of success, it's not their enemies. It's this classical, tragic idea of hubris and nemesis and ate that follows. And they've got to be very careful. And yeah, so sure. I think Elon Musk understands that, but I'm not sure Donald Trump has people around him that will tell him the truth. And in other words, they're all obsequious, or they're afraid of his temper, or, and I think he wants them to tell him this truth. I think he wants someone to say, damn it, I'm not going to let you destroy your this candidacy or yourself. But they're not there.
0: Right. Well, Victor, we're at the end here. Thank you so much for all of this discussion. Boy, you really laid it bare, woke wokeism and the hypocrisy of our woke capitalists, as I think they're called. Thank you very much. And I'm sure your listeners thank you, too.
1: Thank you for uh, doing it again, Sammy. And thank everybody for listening. It's much appreciated, especially in these troubled times, so to speak. See you next time.
0: All right. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off.